If you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and by the way, if you didn't hear Kevin Williams' sermon last week, you need to get on Facebook and take a listen to it. It was a fantastic sermon. Fantastic message. I told him, I said, I've heard you preach a lot of good messages, Kevin, but that one really hit the mark. Maybe it was just because it was for me. You ever had those, right? You're like, man, that sermon was good. And the person beside you is like, eh, it's all right. I've heard better. But, um, man, that one really hit home, and you could tell it was very well researched. He was very well prepared. Uh, and, and I appreciate, I appreciate men and women of God who are faithful to, to share God's Word uh, boldly in Jesus' name. All right. Uh, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here this morning. Thankful, Lord, that we are saved and kept by the grace of God. Uh, thank you that you are real and, and that you love us in spite of who we are and what we have done. And we ask now in the name of Jesus Christ, as we approach your word, that you would open up our hearts, open up our understanding, help us apply it to our lives and live it out faithfully for your glory and for your kingdom. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. First uh, Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, I'll read to verse 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Verse 2 has enough theology in it to get you through on an entire day. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than, than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, In whom, though now see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I want to share a message this this morning entitled, The Trial of Your Faith. The Trial of Your Faith. Um, You know, I I, uh, coach my Logan's basketball team. Yesterday I got a chance to coach... Avery's basketball team. Um, Avery broke some ankles yesterday. I don't know if y'all saw that video. Had a nice little spin move. Left that poor little kid laying on the ground. That little first grader. I stood over top of him. He was like, it was in your face. Your face. I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. But, um, Logan had a good game last night. But in Logan's game, you know, our, we've got a pretty good basketball team. Our little, our little team's a pretty good basketball team, and, and uh, we've, we've won all of our games. That's right. So we're on a roll. Um, and, but la- last night at halftime, we were, lo- we were losing by six, you know. And so that was, that was unfamiliar for them, right? Now, the week before, we did play this one team that cheated, but, you know, that's beside the point. But um, I'm just kidding. They didn't cheat, but... Um, we, uh, we were down by six, and, you know, the kids gathered around, and you know, Rick is my assistant coach, and we kind of gathered around and was like, you know, hey, guys, you know, we've not been in this place this, this season. 
but it's a good place to be uh, because now you've got to dig down deep. You've got, you've got to give it all that you've got. You've got to play with everything that you have. We're going to win this game if we play good defense, okay? Um, and so they did. We turned the defense up a notch, and they started playing really good, tough defense. And our kids are scrappy. They're all, I've got like seven fourth graders on my team. This is third through fifth grade. So I've got seven fourth graders on my team, one fifth grader and a third grader. And so these, these fourth graders are scrappers, man. I've got three girls on my team, and a, they will knock you out. Um, and so it's, it, it, they're just a little scrappy team. They play really well. They pass well. You know, it's, it's, just, it's fun to watch them play. And they scrap back and scrap back and scrap back, and we end up beating them 33 to 24. And so it was a fantastic game. Now, why am I telling you all this? So I can brag on me and my coaching abilities. Um, <laughs> Now, I'm telling you this because I told the kids, I said, you know, this is a lesson about life. I mean, this is, and that's what I like about sports. You know, sometimes we do take sports a little too seriously. I scream a lot, but a lot, you know, if y'all have ever watched, if anybody's ever watched me coach, Mary's seen me coach, Don, Don's seen me coach, you know, I get excited over there. I'm yelling. Some of them times you don't know if I'm yelling because I'm mad or because I'm happy because I just yell the entire game. I talk like I preach. I'm just yelling all the time. And so, um, we were just, I told him, I was like, you know, you had to dig down deep to win this game. There's so much about sports that translates over into real life. Lots of times we look at sports as just, you know, I, I got I to gotta be good so one of these days I can make $25 million. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. All right, my kids end up being in the NBA or baseball or whatever and they make $25 million and I get to reap some of those benefits. I ain't mad about it at all. But honestly, I am not under the impression that either one of my kids are going to make it into any major sports, right? I'm looking more, they need to be doctors, right? They can still make a lot of money, and I still get the benefits. But sports teaches us so much about life, about how to work as a team, how to learn, how to learn from a coach, how to work together, how to look out for somebody else, and how to dig down deep to pull out the best that you have about yourself. And many times in our life, when it comes to this walk of faith, there are going to be many, many times in our lives where we have to dig down deep to live out what we say we actually believe. We have to dig down deep in order to move forward in our walk with God. It would be really easy to be a Christian if all we had to do is say the Lord's Prayer five times a day facing Jerusalem and then just float through life. But unfortunately, that's not what happens. The Bible many times describes Christianity as an athletic event. It it describes it as a run. And it doesn't describe it as a sprint. It describes it as a marathon. And it describes it as being a soldier and being in a war and being in a fight. There's no description about Christianity in the Bible that says we're all supposed to ride around on unicorns eating marshmallows and float to heaven. Has anybody found that yet? I've not found that. If your faith is allowing you to do that, congratulations. But my faith is scrapping and fighting and keeping my head above the waves and trying to stand on what I know is true. Now, I don't know about you, but we are living in a time, and and this is some of the things that we're going to look at as we move along uh, in the next few months, uh, about our faith being challenged. That we are living in a time of, of a great separation. I truly believe that. At the end of time, there's going to be a separating of sheep and goats uh, of wheat and tares. Uh, and if you read the parable of the wheat and tares, they grow up together. They don't go in and get the weeds out. They let them grow up together and then they are separated at the end. In other words, 
you're going to see the fake and the real growing up together right in the middle of the house of God. And I truly believe that as we get closer to the end of time, the fake is going to continue to be seen. As we look at statistics, it seems like we're losing more and more, especially young people, younger adults in the church. You have a rise of people that when they take polls, they either identify as uh, spiritual but not necessarily connected to a religion, or they identify as none, uh, not a nun wearing a habit, but N-O-N-E, none. In other words, we don't, I don't affiliate myself with any particular religion, which means, again, they could be atheists, agnostic, deists. They could be uh, someone who believes in a spiritual world, but they don't necessarily follow any particular religion. You're seeing a rise in, none, in those nuns. You're seeing a rise in, in people who are walking away from organized religion in some sense of the world. Uh, you're seeing a kind of an eroding of what was conservative Christian uh, biblical beliefs were being pushed heavily by society and by social movements and by political divides. Uh, and as I've said before, Romans chapter 1 is such a description of every single generation that goes through a certain cycle in which they no longer trust in God as the source of all things. Romans chapter 1 tells us that once we move away from the creator of the world, then we find something within creation to replace God. In other words, we deify something else in our lives. Whether it's something physical, emotional, or even uh, something that is philosophical, we magnify that. And that's why I truly believe that politics has become as fiery as religious zealots are. There are some of us that will literally die on a political hill. That we will literally lose friendships and the ability to love people with the gospel because they don't carry a certain tag at the end of their name. And I believe that's why politics, in some ways, is replacing religion. And because of this, our faith is being challenged. Our faith is being tried. Now, Peter is not specifically talking about that type of trying, which... We won't necessarily tackle here this morning. He's more talking about persecution. He's talking about the battles of our faith. He's talking about attacks from the enemy. But as we look at this passage of Scripture in here in 1 Peter, and 1 Peter is a, a very powerful book. It's, it's a, a book that begins basically describing what it means to be a Christian and how it is lived out in our lives. It is a common theme throughout Peter that we're going to face trials and tribulations, that our faith is going to be tried. And so I want all of you to know in here this morning that some of you may be, we may find ourselves sitting comfortably in a pew. We may find ourselves feeling okay and maybe we've got a relationship with God here on the side. But we go to work and we act differently. When we get around our friends that aren't Christians, we talk differently. We dress differently. We think differently. And I'm not trying to be any type of religious person. That's trying to push on you. This is how you're supposed to act or live. Or you can't do this and you can't do that. That's not Christianity. But at the end of the day, we have to realize if our faith does not affect us on Monday, then we may not have a real faith. Now, I grew up in church. How many of you grew up in church? You know, that's not as common now, right? And that's one of the reasons why our generation is moving slowly away from God is because they never had a connection to God. But from my earliest memories, I, 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 a church has always been a part of my life. You know, mom and dad didn't sit down on Saturday night with a list of pros and cons to decide whether or not we were going to church the next day. You just got up and went to church the next day, right? 
How many of y'all had parents like that? We didn't sit around and was like, oh, well, we're going tomorrow. No, it wasn't an option. We, you were dragged out the door, right? It didn't matter what happened. You got up, you went to church, right? So it's always been a part of my life. I went to Sunday school. I know we don't have Sunday school here. We don't believe in Sunday school. It's of the devil. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> we have children's church. We Sunday school you right here, right? Because there's a lot of people like, I wish I had Sunday school. Because there were people that would come to Sunday school and then leave, right? They didn't say for the main service. So they would come to Sunday school and then they would leave, right? Um, but I cut, my, I cut my spiritual teeth on VBS. I grew up in a day where they had VBS during the day. Amen. They had VBS from like 8 to 4. I don't know how these moms did it. I don't know how they lived. They had to have been wanting to kill themselves. Can you imagine? I even attended a few church camps in my day. How many of y'all went to church camp? Some of y'all got saved every time you went to church camp. You've been saved 78 times. Hopefully one of them stuck. I don't know. That's the problem. None of them stick. I remember memorizing John 3.16. I remember memorizing the Lord's Prayer. I memorized the books of the Bible. I remember that. Not only that, I remember the stickers I got because I did it. I've mentioned once before that maybe if we put a sign up on the wall... And gave you stickers for attendance. Some of y'all start coming more, wouldn't you? I get my sticker. Slide in, sit down, say everybody sees you. You get your sticker and slide back out. I got my sticker. That way, one of these days when you stand before God in judgment, you can show him your poster. As it burns with fire. I went to church. Church was a part of my life. I didn't know anything else. I grew up in a home that talked about Jesus. I grew up in a home that gave priority to the Word of God. I grew up with a mom that confessed the Word of God over my life. I grew up with a dad who prayed blessings over me. I saw my dad on more than one occasion walk out on the middle of a baseball field and lay hands on someone laying on the ground and pray for them. I'll never forget... Kevin Kreider, a booty jack, was up at our house, and we lived down on the lower end of town. Our, our mini bike wasn't running. We had a mini bike. Had one of those lawnmower engines on it. Tommy had turned it up so high that you couldn't, and it had no brakes. So the only way you could stop was just release the, you know, you had to release the, you know, you had to get going, and you just kind of release it and then slide your feet on the ground. The helmet was too big for me, so I'd go around corners, it'd be sideways. I don't know how we... I mean, kids can't do anything now. I mean, you take them, you send them out in bubble wrap now. I mean, we used to just go out and just try to kill ourselves. It's like, our parents were like, what's wrong with you? Can you not even kill yourself? I remember going through the park over here. They had those parking things. Man, I hit right through the... I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the lawnmower engine to stop. I just... <laughs> but the, the engine wasn't working, and so Booty Jack was out in the backyard down on one knee uh, doing something to the carburetor on it, and Dad walks out the back door, kneels down beside him and says, Booty, since I've got you on your knees, how about I lead you to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I've been surrounded I've been surrounded by faith my whole life 
But there has to come a point in everyone's life where faith becomes your own. Where I was no longer living off the faith of my parents or my church experience. Faith had to become real to me. It had to be genuine. It had to be mine. And I needed to graduate from Sunday school faith. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have yet to graduate from Sunday school. Now, I know that Sunday school had a lot of adult classes too, but we know that Sunday school was mainly geared towards kids, right? And that's why you had all the songs that you did and all the memorizations and all that stuff that you did. Father Abraham, I still sing a song typically to Avery if, if I'm giving him a bath. I still sing a song that I sang during VBS when I was a kid. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, right? It even says, shake hands with a friend beside you. Yeah, I, you can't do that now. It's a non-pandemic song. <laughs> but no matter how much we pray over our children or how much we take them to church or no matter how much we might read to them or talk about the things of faith, there all comes a time in our life where our faith has to become our own. It has to become a part of who we are. We have to graduate from Sunday school faith. I have to move from Bible facts and trivia. Right? Some of you might be able to, rent, might be able to win a game of Bible baseball, but that doesn't mean you know Jesus. Am I right? I mean, I remember sitting over here in the Methodist church, and we used to play Bible baseball every Sunday. That was youth group. We played Bible baseball every Sunday. I learned the 12 tribes of Israel. You know how far they get you in your faith? The fourth son of Israel is Judah. That's right. Hallelujah. I don't know how that helps me overcome the devil, but I knew the 12 tribes of of Israel. I knew the 12 apostles, right? I knew the longest verse in the Bible was Esther 8 9. I knew where the middle chapter of the book of the Bible was. I know, I know, I can win Bible trivia. Not as well now. Not as well. I don't do the Bible trivia as much anymore. But we have to graduate from this type of experience. I need to move into a faith that changes who I am and how I live my life. We all have to have a faith that's deeper, that's rooted, that's established. Now, maybe some of your testimony in in here is not that you were raised in church. You didn't get raised by parents who took you to church or had a faith or or challenged you or read to you the Bible or or any of those things. Your spiritual journey has come from a non-Christian background. That's becoming more and more common in the day and age that we live in. But you have now been introduced to the gospel message, I'm assuming. You're sitting in the sanctuary, somebody's told you about Jesus. I doubt that any of you somehow mistakenly got in here because you thought it was Wendy's. Where's where's the Baconator? I'm just waiting for my Baconator. I don't know about you, but if you've been through this Wendy's over here, God bless them. They can't get anybody to work. Nobody wants to work a job. The other, the, the other day, the guy that was taking the order at the drive-thru was fixing the food and then bringing it to you to get your money. I'm like, holy cow, man. And so you feel like you're in a church service over there waiting for your Baconator. God help them. I mean, I, I want Wendy's to do well. Go Wendy's. I like Wendy's. I'm a fan of Wendy's. But all of you are here because you've had some type of an experience, some type of introduction to the message of the gospel, and this message convicted your heart, you responded to it in some way, and you've been brought to the Savior. You've been saved. Now, some of you, maybe you've heard the gospel message, you've not responded, and I pray that you do that before it's eternally too late. But no matter how you get to this place, no matter how you got here, your faith is supposed to grow. Your faith is supposed to grow. 
Now, there's been a lot of people that have said things like, there's no, there's no standing still in the walk of God. You're either going forward or you're going backward. And there might be a little bit of truth to that, but I, I don't necessarily believe that's true. I believe there is a standing still in, in, in our Christian life. There are some people that have the same faith now that they had when they got saved 20 years ago. They've not grown, they've not, they've not expanded, they've, they've not walked in a deeper holiness, a deeper fire for God. Now, there are some of us in here today that have gone backward. Maybe at one time you were passionate about Jesus. You had strong convictions about the Word. You stood upon the promises of God, and now something about the world has grabbed a hold of your heart. And now you find yourself being drawn into a lifestyle that you didn't used to live. There are some of us in here that are living double lives. And so the challenge for our faith is, is to recognize the fire is coming. The fire is coming. We're all meant to get past the altar experience to a growing faith that is real. How many of you like the old hymn, Just As I Am? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. It's one of my favorite hymns of all time. But there has to come a point in time where we get past just as I am. If we just keep coming just as we are, but we never change into whom he has called us to become, and we're still just as I am, then we haven't grown. We're not called to just lean on John 3.16 and then never continue to pursue the presence of God. We've been called to be sanctified, set apart for God's purposes, molded and shaped into true disciples, true followers of Jesus Christ. There are no Christians in here because of someone else's faith. Now, I don't mean that that doesn't mean somebody didn't pray for you or somebody didn't witness to you or somebody didn't care about you and they planted the seed. Yes, someone else's faith affected you, but you're not saved. You're not right with God because someone else exercised faith for you. We don't become Christians by osmosis. We don't get it by inheritance, by being passed down through the family. You're not a Christian because your spouse is. We're not a Christian because we go to church. True faith has to become personal. Nicodemus had religion, but he didn't have Jesus. He found out that we all must be born again. Even Peter talks about that in this first chapter, that we have been born again of incorruptible seed. We can have religion and not have Jesus. We must be changed by real faith, a faith that is genuine, a faith that is authentic. And this means that it will be tested. It will be tested. And this, recur- this reoccurring theme here in First Peter is because Peter's writing to a group of Christians whose faith is being challenged, it's being tested, it's being tried. They are being persecuted. They are suffering. They were being... Uh, going through some type of trial for the cause of Christ. Their faith was being tested. It was being brought to bear. They were having to face some hard times. And I I really believe that, that, as I told the kids in that game, there has to come a time in our life where we're all tested, where we all have to dig down deep and find out what we're really made of. It's easy for us to praise God when everything's going well, isn't it? And it's easy for us to get in this Christian bubble where everything is protected and everything is guarded and everything is nice and packaged and put together and nothing's messy and nothing's hard and there are no fights and there are no battles and there is no fire and there is nothing that's hard. We're all going to float to heaven playing harps. And it doesn't happen that way. Living in this Christian bubble sometimes gives us the wrong impression that we're not supposed to ever face hardships, that we're all supposed to just get through life easy. But this is not what the Bible tells us. 
Peter in chapter 4 even told them to stop acting like it was a strange thing that they were going through these fiery trial, trials. It was almost like Peter was saying, what did you expect? I mean, Jesus, Jesus told them, if they hated me, they will hate you. If there's not this distinctive line between us and the world, then we might not be following Jesus. And let me say this, a faith that is not tested is a faith that's not worth having. If your faith can't be tested and stand up under the test, then it might not be a faith worth having. That's why Christianity is not afraid of questions. It's not afraid of your doubts. It's not afraid of your uncertainties. It's not afraid to be challenged. Nobody in here is going to be stoned because you might question something that the Bible says, or you might question the existence of God, or you might question what Christians have believed over the centuries. There's no one in here that's going to be mocked or made fun of because Christianity can withstand the test. So as we look at this passage, I want us to find some encouragement to live victoriously through the trials of life because I know all of you have been through or are going through some type of trial. Some type of battle, some type of fight. Can anybody testify here this morning? You're going through some type of trial, some type of battle, some type of fight. Number one, Peter acknowledges that we're going to have trials. In this passage of Scripture, he tells us with all certainty that the trial of your faith is going to come. This is simple, but something that we need to get in our hearts and minds. We have to expect that if we are in a war, there is going to be trying times. That we can't show up shocked that this happened. Because lots of times in our view of God, in our view of, of, of this God, we, many times we see God as the one who's supposed to always fix everything. He's supposed to answer my prayer when I, when I tell him to. He's supposed to show up and he's supposed to get me through everything. And he's supposed to take care of all of this. And we look at God as a dispenser. How many of you have ever stuck change in a, what's the machines called that you get chips out of? Yeah, vending. Ever put change in a vending machine and didn't get your chips? How many of you had to get saved after the machine didn't give you your chips? And how many times have we naively thought, I'll try it again. Try it again. It was just that one. You know, and it's normally like at work or something. So you storm back, get a sticky note. You ever seen those sticky notes on the vending machine? This machine owes me $7,000. We think, you know, if I put my change in, I'm supposed to get chips. If I put my change in the machine, it's supposed to drop out. You even have the ones that will spin, but it doesn't go all the way around. So it gets stuck right there. Your promise is right in front of your face. It's right there. The glory is looking at you through the glass, but it won't fall down. There are times in our lives that that's how we, we approach God as a vending machine. God, I put my quarters in. Where's my stuff? God, I went through my religious motions. Where's my stuff? God, I went to church every Sunday. Where's my stuff? And we don't recognize that there are times in our lives, folks, that we've got to learn to just trust God when we can't see him. But it doesn't seem like it's fallen out of the vending machine. We have to recognize that, that God is not Santa Claus. And that life is not fair. 
and that hard times are going to come. Quit being shocked that life is not fair. Quit being shocked that the devil hates you. We have to recognize Peter acknowledges you're going to have trials. He didn't write these letters to these Christians and say, just hold on a second. The army's coming. We're just going to bowl over them, right? Trials are coming. Secondly, we need God's strength to get through it. In verse 5, he said, we are kept by the power of God through faith. It tells us in verse 3 that God, our Father, has blessed us with abundant mercy. So in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our mess, in the middle of whatever battle we're going through, know this in the depths of your heart. Mercy is abundantly being poured out upon your life and the power of God is available to get you through it. God does not leave you alone. God does not abandon you. God does not tell you that there's there's nothing for you now. God is right in the middle of the fire. God didn't deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of going into the fire. He went into the fire with them. There's another in the fire. There's another going through the battle with you. There's another going through the trial with you. There's another one that's facing it with you. There's another one that feels your hurt, that feels your pain, that knows where you are. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. See, we serve a delivering God. Sometimes you'll go through the fire. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, that's what God does. Abundant mercy. The power of God being poured out upon our lives. Church, it's it's during these times, these trials, these battles, these fights, that we many times see the greatest revelation of God. It's when we find God as father, as husband, as friend, as mother, as someone who is taking a place in our lives that we may have even lost in this world. We get a revelation of God's power, of God's holiness, of God's goodness. And we learn that now I must trust God's power. I must trust the power of God. Don't let go of God's mercy. Don't let go of God's favor. God's favor has not been withdrawn from your life. No matter what you're going through, God's favor still rests upon you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You may feel like you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, but the shepherd has gone nowhere. There are still fields waiting for you. There are still, still waters waiting for you. Just trust the shepherd. Learn to find your strength in God. Nobody's going to win this thing through willpower. You're going to win this thing through faith. A faith that is tried and tested. Number three, we are called to rejoice. This is always the strange part of faith. The strange part of faith is is that it continues to rejoice in the middle of circumstances. It continues to rejoice in the middle of the hard times. Because when we, we have to recognize in our lives, rejoicing only comes to those who are surrendered and fully trusting in God. Discouragement is just a temporary loss of perspective. Discouragement is just a temporary loss of perspective. When our focus gets off God and on something else, discouragement settles in. But when we return our gaze to Him, when we return our gaze of faith back to God, 
discouragement is swallowed up by the truth of who he is and what he's doing in our lives. I want, I want us to get down into the depths of our heart and recognize that the, the, the reward of faith is not the answer to our prayers. The reward of faith is him. The reward of faith is the presence of God. The reward of faith is knowing him. Yes, God answers prayer. Thank God for answered prayer. But the reward of faith is not even our testimony. It's him. God told Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. I am. I am your exceeding great reward. When we turn our eyes to God in faith, we have the power to rejoice in the midst of trial. Faith isn't naive. It just decides to rejoice in Jesus while in the circumstance. And I know that's easy for us to say when, when, when we think that we've got it all together or when everything's happening well. Some of you are sitting out there thinking, well, Mark, obviously nothing ever happens in your life. Right. That's what I'm saying. I never go through hard times. I never face any trials. I'm never struggling emotionally or psychologically or spiritually. I'm the pastor. I don't go through any of that stuff. I've got faith that moves mountains. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't recognize that every one of us in here are, are human. We're, we're, everyone is, is going to face these battles, these fights. And so rejoice really is an attitude. Rejoice really is a perspective. Rejoice is really based upon the reality of who Jesus is. That we change our perspective from getting an answer to getting him. And once we get him, we get our answer. We have to recognize that we're, we're not always going, our prayers are not always going to be answered the way we want them to be answered or in the time frame that we want them to be answered. Maybe y'all do. I don't know. Maybe some of y'all got that faith, and when you pray, it's like beep, 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 and the microwave, it comes out hot. <laughs> Unfortunately, mine takes a while and sometimes comes out burnt. We were at the baseball field the other day, and this poor lady, she was working in the concession stand. She came running over. She's like, can you help me? I'm like, yeah, what's going on? I'm doing the concession stand, but I don't know what happened to the hot dogs. I'm like, okay. So I go in, and, you know, they're on one of those rollers in the concession stand. They were all black, every single hot dog on there. There were like eight of them just rolling around black. I'm like, um, maybe you should have turned it down. There was like people waiting in line. I'll take a hot dog. You don't want this one. You don't want this one. Sometimes our, our life that we go through, and it doesn't always turn out the way we want it to, to turn out. But we have to recognize that we still have a reason to rejoice because God is still faithful. Number four, there are manifold temptations. One translation says various trials. Differing battles, differing hardships. We may not all go through the same thing, but we're all going through. Some hardships come through our own bad choices. Let's just be honest. Some of us get in a place of battle because we made a bad choice. We sinned. We got our eyes off God. Sometimes it comes through an attack of the enemy. We've all been in those places where the enemy attacks. And honestly, folks, some are even present in our lives by the divine purpose of God. When, when, when Jesus went into the, to the wilderness to be tempted, the Bible says he was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus didn't wander into the wilderness and got lost. Right? Jesus didn't somehow miss the Spirit of God and ended up in a wilderness of temptation. He followed the leading of the Spirit into the wilderness. And there are times in our lives where God leads us to find out what we're made of. There are some of you right now that you're finding out what you're really made of. Maybe something happened in your life. Something knocked you off balance. Maybe something has happened in your life and it's changed the way you look at God. And I'm not, I'm not condemning you at all. We've all been there in our lives. But the warning signs are there. That we have to recognize our faith is being tested. It's being tried. And some of us are making choices that are leading in the wrong direction. That will only lead to more hardship. Some of our, some of our hardships, some of our trials are spiritual. Some of them are psychological. Some of them are physical. They affect our emotions. But I've never met any problem. I've never met any trial that didn't affect every part of my life. I've never had an emotional issue that didn't affect me spiritually. I've never had a spiritual issue that didn't affect me physically. Every part of us is connected. And so whatever battle you're going through, there is no temptation that is taking you that is not common unto man. But he will make a way of escape. But the warning is, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No matter where your, where your trials come from, or even what they look at, or look like, we can still rejoice. And number five, trials test the genuineness of our faith. If we want to know if something is real or can stand under pressure, we test it. We live in the shallow end of faith when we allow our emotional responses in tough times to shape our lives instead of our faith. When we allow our emotional responses to the tough times in our lives shape who we are instead of our faith. We can say we believe God, but we don't know until we've been through it. Peter said our faith is more precious than gold, and it is a gold that is refined by fire. Gold is a precious metal. It doesn't oxidize. It doesn't rust. But it does have impurities in it. And to get the impurities out, it has to be heated. And once it is heated, the impurities rise to the surface. And that's why many times when we go through trials, it's painful. It's ugly. Because the ugly parts of our lives come to the surface. When we go through the trial, when we go through the test, and our faith is being put under the fire, it's put under the microscope, the pressure is being placed on, it starts coming to the surface. That's why people, when they're under conviction, they bite your head off. Right? They don't know how to react. They don't know how to respond. There are some of us in here right now, as Christians, that are being convicted by the Lord, and you're biting your spouse's head off. You're looking at everything as, as uh, guilt or condemnation. You're looking at everything as instead of conviction, which is meant to draw you to his presence, you're looking at it as something that is, that is keeping you from being who you really want to be. Our faith is more precious than gold. A gold is refined through fire. Faith is refined and becomes genuine when it faces the heat and it's still standing. As I conclude this morning, Peter concludes by telling us the outcome of true, genuine faith is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Inexpressible joy is the outcome of true, genuine faith. 
Listen, I'm not saying that we're, all, we're always going to be happy. I'm not saying that we're always walking around singing a tune. But if joy is not a part of your life, then there's a true, genuine faith missing from your life. It's a true, genuine faith that's missing from your life. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. And if that fruit does not manifest in your life, then there's a missing element of the work of the Spirit in your life. I'm not trying to question your salvation, although it could be a sign. But what I am saying that even as the people of God, if joy is leaking out, it normally means we're splashing around in the shallow end of faith. In Christ, it's in Christ, joy unspeakable and full of glory in Christ. This is the source of living victoriously in trials. In Christ, I am in Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And what is the goal of our faith? Peter says it's the salvation of our souls, the revelation of Jesus in our lives, and even the ultimate inheritance of an eternity in heaven. This is the source of joy in trials, that because there is a resurrection, we have a living hope. We see the purpose in the trial, the test, the hardship. We see the purpose. We see the benefit in the sanctification. Peter is talking about us in this passage. We have not seen Christ with our physical eyes, but we love him. A proof of genuine faith and spiritual maturity is when we have not seen him, yet we continue to love and obey him. His power in us compels and helps us to live out his commands. It is what truly produces the greatest joy in our lives. It is a lie of the devil that tells us that you will find your greatest joy in the world. It is a lie of hell that tells you that you will find your greatest joy in the flesh. True joy, a true belief in Christ, trials and tribulation can produce a real, genuine, deep faith that's not moved by circumstances but is moved by the reality of who Jesus is. Faith is what gives us access to the power and the presence of God. And we want a real, growing, mature faith. And this comes through fights. This comes through battles. This comes from tests. So I encourage you this morning, don't be shocked. But the trial of your faith is that important. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. I find it interesting that Jesus calls him Simon, not Peter. Jesus calls him Simon twice. And I think there's an importance to that because Jesus is the one who called him Peter, the rock, right? The church is not built on Peter, the the church is built on Peter's revelation. But he is the rock. Peter, but he called him Simon because Jesus recognized that his pride was already getting him over in the flesh. And he's telling him, Simon, you're getting in the flesh and the enemy's after your faith. The enemy's after your faith. Because it was after he says this that Peter says, I'll die for you, Jesus. And of course, Peter's faith did fail, but it didn't completely fail. Jesus knew at the end of this, when you come out of this, when you come out, when you are converted, he said, strengthen your brethren. 
I've prayed that your faith not fail. Church, there is an attack on your faith. Believe it or not, there's an attack on your faith. And it's affecting how you live. It's affecting how you see the world. It's affecting how you interact with those who are unsaved. It's affecting your either love for the church or your love for service or your love for ministry or your lack thereof. Our faith is going to be tried. But when you come through this, you will never be the same and your faith will be stronger than ever if you grip a hold of Christ. A trial of faith is going to send you one of two directions. It's either going to soften you and draw you to Christ or it's going to harden you and push you to the world. Be encouraged that the one who saved you is the one who will keep you. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, how grateful we are for a faith that is real. Thank you for a cross and a resurrection that is real. Thank you for the promise of your coming that is real. We believe, Lord, that all of your promises are true. They are yes and amen. We stand upon those promises. And now I'm asking you here this morning, Lord, you would encourage us in the midst of our trial. We believe that your promises will come true, so we ask for strength in the fire. We're asking you for strength in the battle. We're asking you, Lord, to encourage, strengthen, grow our faith as we stand upon the promises of your word. We are determined to hear your voice. We are determined to get through this and live at a deeper faith, living at a higher spiritual plane to your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning, as we focus our attention on the Lord, I don't want to do any type of religious activity here today, but I do want you to just for a moment consider where you stand with God today. I want you to ask yourself, is my faith real? Is my faith genuine? Is my faith authentic? Have I just put on my church face today? Have I just gone through my church motions? Is my faith real? What am I going to look like on Monday? Is my faith real? If I was put on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict me? Is your faith real today? I'm just telling you right now, there is no more important question that you can answer. And I don't care if you've been in church for 25 years. I don't care if you're on the board of this church. I don't care if you stood behind this pulpit and preached a sermon, or you play an instrument, or you throw money in an offering tray, or you're a volunteer in some ministry in this church. I don't care where you are. I'm not asking you what you do, I'm asking you who you are. And we all have to come to the eventual, eternal realization. Is my faith real? Some of us are faking it here today. And God's saying, stop faking it. Some of us are living double lives here today. And the fire is exposing us. I'm not asking you to lift your hand, but I'm asking you to respond to the power of the Holy Spirit. If that is you today, please don't leave this building without making things right with God. Hear the voice of the shepherd. 
This is eternity we're talking about. If you're in this building today and you're going through the fire, you're going through a trial and your faith is being shaken and you are battling and you're fighting and you need encouragement, we want to pray with you. So if you need prayer here today to get through this trial, this fire, this battle, come. If you're not right with God, come. If you need a healing in your body today, come. So we sing this worship song. Why don't you stand to your feet? This altar's open. Come today. Come today and let's meet the master in Jesus' name.